You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 37, mountain biking in South Africa with Sean Emsley. I just hope I'm not butchering his name. I believe that that's how you should pronounce Emsley. And um, so a little bit of the background story. Sean emailed me. Uh, not actually, he didn't email me. He'd messaged me on Twitter and suggested that, uh, you know, kind of casually that I should have an episode from South Africa. And I, oh, yeah, sure enough. Um, but we started exchanging messages and he sent me a photos of uh, like a like a bull giraffe. And he said like something like, oh, this is this is what I uh, uh, encountered today on my cycling trip. And um, so we exchanged a few messages, and then we uh, get on call and 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 we talked for a, for a little while, and uh, it was like immediately obvious that Sean is very passionate about uh, cycling, about mountain biking, and the place where he mountain bikes is just stunning. It's just South African game reserve. Um, so it was like absolute no brainer. Uh, we quickly set up a date and time. And we jump onto onto a call and recorded that this episode of the podcast. So you obviously will hear, uh, you know, the quality of the sound is not that great because obviously uh, we were doing that over the internet and all the you know technical things that all degrade the quality of sound. Nevertheless, um, it's it's you know what we are talking about that that's what matters. And this is absolutely fascinating episode uh, of the podcast. Um, so uh, I, I think that's it. I'm, I'm not going to be delaying that introduction any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Emsley and mountain biking in South African game reserves. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you um, very much. You, Thank you. You are the first or my first guest who is like really way down there or up there because you're uh, you are talking from South Africa, right? Yeah, Durban, Durban on the east coast of South Africa. Um, I know from my granddaughter living in Galway that I um, think I'm 9,933 kilometers. As the crow 33 flies. that's what, <laughs> what a what a precision to the kilometer that's, that's precision. Great. i think yeah, well, that's how much you know one's got to calculate when you miss your family so much <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i think it's an interesting story just for our listeners you know how we uh how we how we g- get to know each other and how we get to that podcast i think you just you just uh messaged me on twitter about like yeah you know you should have a you should have a podcast from South Africa, and because yeah. I was mountain biking, and yeah. uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I was I was uh, really wanted to have a, a podcast because you know South Africa is such a great country, especially for the outdoors. Yeah. But I, you know, if if somebody asked me, I would almost bet that it's gonna be something to do with hunting. And there you go. I, I have a guest from South Africa. It's gonna be about mountain biking, so it's great. Yeah, yeah it's tell about, us, it's about tell, tell us how the scene looks like. Yeah. It's about mountain biking, but South African for the outdoors 
especially on the east coast where I am, on the east coast of, of South Africa, our summer is virtually 12 months of the year. If we get any temperatures around 12 degrees, it's almost a national disaster. So for, for, for us, we surf and swim in the sea all year. It's tropical climate. So we do a lot mm -hmm. of surfing, swimming, all the outdoor sports. Um, we, won't yeah. mention, we won't mention the rugby because I think these days I think I support Ireland more than South Africa. But, <laughs> but we do. And cycling as a mountain biking especially has taken over South Africa by storm. Um, yeah. I think most of the bicycle shops around, retailers, if not 100%, probably 90 to 95% of the stock now is all mountain biking. We have yeah, I was I was surpri I was surprised when you, because obviously we we spoke about a little bit uh, before we before we started recording, and uh, you know picture that you painted is is really amazing these these amazing views and amazing place to to mountain bike and, and like you said it's like road biking is like well that's not not really so much of the road cycling, but the mountain biking is big. Yeah, we have we have we have some pretty big. Cycle events, mass participation. I think you call them sportifs across there. Yep. Um, and we can have at the front end of the field, they normally break it up into have the professionals in the early batch, first batch away, females and the, the men, the gents, and then the mass participation. And some of our, 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 our events can get up to 25,000, 30,000 participants in the road wow. on the road and then mm -hmm. but those are few and far in between you know we have our classics and there's a few and in our province we don't have that many so whilst i have a road bike and uh, i started off my cycling on the road a race track we have two nice uh, outdoor tracks and the velodrome tracks in, in this uh, city so we do quite a bit of that but but it's just conducive to mountain biking i can ride out my door And within 10, 15 minutes, I'm in, into a mountain bike in Mecca. We have Valley of the Thousand Hills, that one photo I sent you. Call it a thousand hills. You can sort of go 150 kilometers in any direction. Very little civilization except rural communal land owned by the Zulu nation under the Zulu king. So it's not really fenced. A lot of animal tracks, wild tracks, livestock tracks, pass from the, the rural folks. So we just... We ride, and as we ride in, we encounter so much of nature. It's it's, it's absolutely amazing, you know. You, you especially we tend to ride early morning because our temperatures can get up to forty forty degrees Celsius on some days. So we try to get out pretty early, and you tend to meet more wildlife sometimes around hunting, whether it's snakes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you saw you you were sending me those pictures like with yeah. giraffes and yeah. and and rhinos yeah. and all that. It's like wow, you you're you you know you 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 see those animals as you're cycling as if like you know like a like a cow or sheep in Ireland, and you have like a giraffes and like all oh, like it's just just amazing. It's just amazing. yeah, yeah. We they they we're pretty lucky. They're starting to open up some of our private game reserves. So generally, you're. Your, your bigger wildlife, your buffalo, your giraffe, your rhinoceros, antelopes, the sort of uh, hippopotamus, you find these more in game reserves. So we, we've been negotiating in the province through mountain biking, and mount, most mountain bikers are real nature lovers and preserve a lot of the land. So they've opened up and built trails 
and allow us to ride. As long as you message them to say we're starting at this time, there's three of us or four of us in our group, you can't go less than two or three. And when you're back from the ride, you message in again to say, okay, you're back. But in amongst that, you've got, you ride and you just pop out and you you come across uh, hippopotamus, rhinoceros. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago, I was taking a video and I was just out with my nephew, a 14-year-old boy, and and these rhinos, rhinos as we call them, suddenly they were looking a bit big in my through my iPhone, and I pulled the iPhone down, dropped it, and I, they were actually charging me. <laughs> so oh, my, my nephew had, I didn't realize he was that fast for a 14-year-old in a mountain bike. He didn't say a word. He just took off. So <laughs> what you learn in Africa, you, to be safe, you just have to beat one person. You've got to be yeah. quicker than at least one person because they say in Africa, if you're not fast, you become fast food. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and you're, so you're, you're, you're getting right into, into that because, like, you know, the obvious question is, like, is that dangerous? You know, like a hippopotamus is, is like a super dangerous animal. Yeah. And you guys are just, just riding a bike, uh, you know, among those animals. So tell me how dangerous that is and, like, what safety precautions you, you got to take if you're, if you're going for a ride. There's not much one can do. You've got to try keep your distance and give them respect. They're wild animals. They're not domesticated. So they're always going to protect mm-hmm. the young, protect the, the environment. So you tend, the warning is you always keep to the higher ground. Um, the mm-hmm. obvious reason is they, they see you as a bit bigger, a bit more threatening, being higher up and looking a lot bigger. So okay. you you've got to learn when to stand your ground and and when to and when to make tracks and and head off. So you tend to keep to the higher ground, um, keep moving, and don't don't get into a position where you confront them or corner them because they're going to react. Whether it's a giraffe, right. people think that these giraffes are really beautiful, docile, but that giraffe mm-hmm. can really stamp you and knock you with its long head you know that's long powerful neck and so it's quite yeah. it's quite intimidating you feel the most recent one that picture i sent you of the giraffe i came around the track and there was this giraffe yeah i never knew that yeah. introduced giraffes into that reserve and he just stood mm-hmm. his ground right on the center of the track and i was on my own and we had a bit of a steering competition mm-hmm. and when i saw him starting to sway his head and stamp his feet it was time to retreat now and find another way right right and as you ride it right you think you're free from him but he's sort of leering over all the trees his long neck of he's keeping an eye where you are so yeah yeah he knows good and well where you are yeah. and what you do in that case like is, is it is it is it often that you're you know you have to basically wait uh because you, i presume you were in the in a situation when you had an option to kind of turn back and take a different route but is it is it is it happening like you know it stands, uh, whatever animal it is, it stands, you know, on your way home and you just, yeah. you know, have no choice but wait it out? Yeah, you, you wait it out. There's always another way. It depends how brave you are and how late it is because <laughs> um could be a bit late in the day and you don't want to be caught out after dark. But keep in mind, mm. these are also in private game reserve areas. We don't, I know, strangely enough, I think a lot of American folk especially, I'm not sure if they, they, how they think of the rest of the world, but they think in Africa we've just got these lions roaming our streets and wildlife. 
Mm-hmm. And see us as a first world country, which we, in South Africa we are. You know, we've got highways, we've got mm-hmm. cities, we've got um, and yeah, a lot of the, those sort of wildlife. You do come across wildlife that jump fences and boundaries, and your wildcat, your caracal, similar to a lynx, and they don't really harm us or not really a threat to us because they they're hunting rodents, hunting other birds, wildlife, and so we're not really on their list. It's only if you corner them or confront them. So you've just got to respect that we, we're always encroaching on their area. Um, yeah. We come across a lot of monkeys, sometimes baboons. Baboons can be quite vicious, so you tend to try, really try to avoid them. They're really aggressive, whereas the monkeys yeah. tend to move away in their troops. So, and can they, can they kind of attack you once they see you or is it like most of the cases they're going about their business and only if you're kind of you know decide they decide that you're getting too close and you know yeah yeah you've got to each you know each one on its on its own merits we were we were in a game reserve up in northern northern KwaZulu Natal and we were rather silly because we came out there and we came across two rhinos and they were being quite amorous. They were busy going about their business. And it was quite unique. So we thought we'd slow down and watch this. And the noise and that and watching, we've never seen that before. You don't really see that. That's after dark stuff or in the bush stuff with these animals. And then the female had enough. So she sort of shoved this big rhinoceros to one side. And he was really, very upset and angry now because we had interfered. So he decided uh-huh. to start charging to us. Lucky we had the higher ground and we could get away. So, uh-huh. But there again, in the game reserve, in the private reserve, and we're encroaching on there. So you've got to try to keep your distance. In fact, sometimes when we're cycling, mm-hmm. some of the foreign tourists get quite fascinated and they stop photographing the the animals and that they start uh, videoing and taking photographs of these crazy mountain bikers. And, and <laughs> I think we're a bit more. Maybe we're going to become extinct <laughs> quicker than the than the the runners. But through cycling, we raise. There's a lot of fundraising. We do a lot of rides, and that especially we've got a huge problem with poaching of the rhinoceros through m- massive consortiums, Hello. and it's almost mafia-like where they 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 slaughtering the rhino just for their horn and shipping it off to the east. So we're really trying to raise awareness, and they've got campaigns where you have they sell these big red horns to depict the blood of the rhino, and you actually put that onto the front of your of your car and mm-hmm. support and and show cause. And there's a lot of mountain bike events. There was one recently mm-hmm. from Durban up to the one game reserve where they're experiencing and just raising awareness, raising funds, introducing technology about drones and all other um, mm-hmm. uh, monitoring equipment because these these are real thugs that cross our borders from Mozambique, from different places, and they hunt the rhino okay. viciously with AK-47s, shoot, yeah. leave the young, and they just slice. But obviously, they, they're, they're, they're poachers, right? They're obviously, they're poachers. They're out-and-out poachers. But they, they're poaching for criminal syndicates, so they're almost poaching on order. How many they want, right, and they want, right. and then they they're shipping them to the to the east. You know, they're trying oh. to stop those markets. So we're really struggling in this this province, especially because we've got a lot of game reserves, and 
trying to protect the wildlife. Elephant parks as well. You got to protect the elephants as well because they, yeah, their horns as well. So it's the real problem. We're privileged to ride there, so we also use it to do a lot of um, highlighting the plight of a lot of the wildlife, especially our rhinoceros uh, elephants who are really under attack at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're really uh, mountain bikers being there. They're they're kind of uh, um, kind of have their role in the conservation and and kind of reporting what they see on the on the ground as well. Very much because we also as we ride through forests and indigenous areas, we have a lo large influx from rural to urban the population, and so mm. when they move into the bigger cities, I mean we have in this province probably about. 10 or 11 million, the population in this province alone. But it's very vast. It can take you six hours from end to end to drive across, but mainly rural. But due to unemployment and education and other social issues, they tend to migrate towards the city, and then there's no very little accommodation. Mm -hmm. So they tend to start yeah. putting up squat. We call them squatter camps, John Dole. We call them John Dole. It's a Zulu word for a one-bedroom shack. They make it out of tin, cut the trees, And through, as they live in these areas, it becomes deforestation because they now clearing to live, yeah. clearing to build, and then clearing all these yeah. trees for fire to, to cook and so on, to boil yeah. water and to cook. And then they start hunting yeah. uh, wildlife around there. So as we cycle and we ride, you're always taking notes, taking photos. If there's an issue, report it. If you see any poaching, right. because the rural folk traditionally they do a lot of hunting so they it's part of the mm. tradition and they have hunting dogs um mm. so the, you'll have a pack of dogs coming through the bush chasing something sometimes they think it's us that they they often <laughs> and they it's, we're not sure if these dogs are, are have the correct inoculation whether they're carrying rabies and And then yeah. the hunters normally come behind them, sometimes well-armed. So you've got to be a bit careful where you ride and and try mm. not to confront them, but try to talk to them and move them off to somewhere yeah. else. So, yeah. so would you would you say that, that these, these encounters are really can be more dangerous than the, than the animals itself? Like, you know, it like a wildlife? Be. It can be. Yeah. I think humans can be more unpredictable. Um, yeah. and you, you can be riding and you might hear a gunshot because there's someone hunting. You don't know where that, that bullet is aimed. Yeah. So you, yeah. you gotta, yeah, you gotta be careful where you ride because we've also found that mountain bikers are, they've started realizing the criminal syndicates that the value of mountain bikes are, <laughs> just as much as, as vehicles. So they actually, we call them bark jacking. We have a lot of bark jackings going on. So they'll, they'll go through okay. paths and they will jump out or pull a rope across the track. Yeah. And they'll yeah. they'll yeah. eventually pull firearms and leave you standing there basically in, in your shorts or your shoes. Everything will be gone, your bark. They'll remove mm -hmm. everything and... And they track shipments of these bikes leaving our province to get out. They hide them under the other, and they're syndicates. So if you've got an old right. bike, they won't even bother you. They, they're sort of starting to realize the value of a top okay. bike. So, yeah, there's a lot of risk, but it's just you don't ride a lot on your own, and you ride in safe areas. And 
it's just the you, you kind of like it's 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 I suppose it's no different than in a in a big city. You have areas that are dangerous, and you're not going there, especially alone. And then there are areas where you're good to go. So I guess that's the same same principle. It's actually the same. Yeah, you know, if you would arrive here as a foreign tourist and you take a wrong turn. It would be the same as me going to LA and going into Compton or one of the uh, I don't know what the what the areas are there that you can get yourself in trouble. But yeah, we have the yeah. same these areas that I wouldn't go in in a hurry at night. Um, but yeah. but in the suburbs where we are, it's beautiful out here, and we look after each other. You know, you take necessary Got precautions, it. ride together. Oh. I'm tracking when I go out. Sometimes I leave early hours of the morning. Then I'll just put through through my gum and I'll just put follow me on live track. And my wife, if she wakes up, can can see where I am. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a very that's a that's a very good solution. That's very good safety feature. Yeah, and and more and more of a. Uh, kind of like Garmin has it, Strava has it, like a Strava beacon and so on, yeah, just for just yeah. for safety. And Sean, listen, I have a I have a question. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, we're we we jump straight into the, <laughs> and not surprisingly, we yeah. just jump straight into the you know wildlife and rhinoceros and hippos yeah. and all this stuff. And tell me, like, when this is this is like a day to day stuff for you. So yeah. is it like you know you're riding these areas and is it become like a normal thing for you and you're not really you know have a, like a second thought when you see rhinoceros or giraffe, or is it still um, something like, like, so to say, you aware that this is very special, or is it like, you know, pretty much like you see a sheep, and you know, because we cycling here in Ireland, yeah. you see the cows and sheep, and nobody pays attention to it, like, say, yeah, or whatever. And then in turn, we have a, I think it was a cousin, cousin one of our with our friends, and we were cycling. And she just couldn't get over sheep. We were stopping each time she saw a sheep, and and we was like, "Hey, come on, you know, let's 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 cycle. It's just a sheep." And she was taking pictures and all that. So I'm just wondering, is it is it like a little bit like that for you? And you just cycle and you just see another rhinoceros, and like, oh, no big deal. Or is it like still this uh, kind of uh, yeah. awareness that this is something special? Yeah, I think when it comes to, we call them the big five, the rhino, the elephant, the lion, mm. the hippo, and so on, buffalo, those are really special. And you'll only see those uh, in game reserves. And a lot, for mm. many years, it was very difficult. You weren't allowed to cycle in these areas, and slowly they've started opening it up. We were saying we were saying to a group of mates, we were cycling Tyler Game Reserve, which is about 20 km, 30 kilometers from where I stay. And it costs us uh, 50 rand, which in Irish and Euro, you divide that by 15, I don't know, what's it, three or four euros, four euros, to not even, to, to go and ride yeah. in there in amongst these animals. And they, they've developed trails for us, specifically cut out single track, ride around wow. 26 to 30 kilometers of trails that they, yeah. with little bridges across rivers, and they're actually encouraging you to come ride there. So... Mm. And then you, your, your starting point is just above the hippo pool where the hippos are all hanging out. <laughs> so, it's, you know, you think, okay, there's another hippo, there's, but it's, you still realize when you're riding in there, you still want to stop and have a look. You still admire this beautiful rhino. Mm-hmm. It really looks prehistoric when you come across it. But you've got to be aware yeah. as well because we find wildebeest and a lot of the antelope, some of the bigger 
we have incidents where they just, I'm not quite sure what it is. When they get scared and they start running, they will just mm-hmm. suddenly sweep across your track. They need to get to the other side. They feel cornered, and they'll actually run right through you and your group. And wow. so we've had a few. Yeah. We have a few cyclists from time to time that get taken out by one of these. And uh, wow. you'll see on YouTube now and again, they keep posting. In Australia, I think they get taken out by kangaroos and the like, but, but yeah, yeah, we have yeah. a few. Yeah. Wow, that's, uh, a, that's, a, that's really, amazing. It's really beautiful. There's some, they've started opening up um, some races, events, where you can actually they hold two or three days stage racing in the game reserves. And there has been a few stages where the where they've had to reroute or stop the race in its track and, and restart. I suppose like the Tour de France when you get a train crossing and you've all got yeah. to wait and then they let the leaders go again once the train moves because the one one or two events there's either been a rogue bull elephant on the loose on the trail <laughs> or there's been a lion kill during the evening and it's right on the trails they're coming through and the, the pride of lions are sitting there. So they'll reroute yeah. up and get the people lions would probably not appreciate a bunch of bike riders just next to their kill <laughs> yeah that's why i say you've got it but you you just have to look around you and make sure there's someone slower than you then you say but <laughs> you just gotta oh, yeah. take your mother-in-law along or something like that or depends <laughs> introduce it to cycling but yeah, it's 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 really great. The biggest cha- threat for us on most of my rides is snakes, especially the- exactly. You were you were you were saying that to me. Please tell us, lay it out. Like, what's the deal with the snakes? Yeah, I think I think we have we have a number of of snakes. Been a tropical climate and the heat. This time of the year, we have a lot of confrontations with snakes. Now we have. You'll call it the Mozambique spitting cobra. We have puff adders. We have green mamba. Black now the black mamba is probably the most dangerous snake in the world. And this snake can grow up to three meters in length. And I think the moment, the moment, snake, the, man. The, moment the youngsters born and is there, it's lethal. It can can kill you, and you've got to get help within a short space of time, or you or your history. And so we find, yeah. especially on, I call them solar-powered because it seems like the, as soon as the sun is up, they get, uh, they get energized. And yes. you, I, I mean, it was, it was last year, December. It was actually the day after. I find you go down on Christmas Day and what do we call it, Boxing Day, day after Christmas, and go cycle because you find – Everyone is at home opening their presents and all the trails and roads are quiet and it's the best time to go ride. So mm-hmm. with my with me getting a bit on in the years and not having children at home and grandchildren living in Ireland two hours behind us this time of the year, so I can get in a ride and then call them when I get back. So we I head down quite early and then last the twenty sixth of December I was climbing a, a single track uh, with switchback climbs up quite a steep hill. Very hilly, yeah. We you can do a thirty kilometer ride and do eight eight hundred to thousand meters of climbing. So I was wow. doing this switchback climb and it was tight switchbacks and you really gotta go hard through them to keep your momentum because it's you're climbing yeah. as you're turning. And I came round the switchback and there coming along the path was 
you know, I don't know if it's a fisherman's story, but probably the biggest one if you showed. <laughs> it was biggest because he was in front of me, but he was really a big guy. And he, he was coming directly down the path that mm-hmm. I was on. So we were having a – and the way you – the black mamba, they call it black, but it's not really black. It's a gray, gray gunmetal sort of color snake. Mm-hmm. But when it opens, it's when it is going to strike, it, it, it raises itself up. And to give you an idea, it raised itself up that it was sort of chest high with me when it, oh, sat, when it stood up. And you know at that stage, as soon as it does that and it opens its mouth, when you see the black in its mouth, then you know that's the black mamba. You know you're in trouble. Um, so for me, it was, it was, I still don't know how I escaped that one because I jumped, I basically unclipped. And jumped off the back of the saddle while the back, back of the back, and I just let the back continue straight into him. And he, okay, I think he struck at the back because <laughs> because I was already running the other way. So, but it was quite strange <laughs> oh. because there was a like a fifteen-year-old boy. I didn't realize this youngster was trying to catch me up the climb. Mm-hmm. And as I came running around the switchback, he jumped off his back and he started running with me. He didn't know why, and he just he was shouting from behind, Uncle, Uncle, why are we running? Why are we running? <laughs> I said, just stay behind me. I'll tell you when we get to the bottom. <laughs> so we, we came up, we gave oh, it 10, 15 minutes, and we came back up throwing stones. And, you know, you make a noise, and it mm-hmm. gets them. That snake will be aggressive. If it's confronted, it actually won't back off. It'll actually keep chasing you. It, it will mm. go for you. It really, it's probably the most aggressive snake in the world. That one, and wow. So, if you Google it, they call it the African the black mamba, M A M B A. It's really massive, and we find them a lot in the sugar cop. We have a lot of sugarcane plantations, and they they round they after rodents, and and they're always hunting. So when it gets hot, they get energized, and that same snake, yeah. they've. He's confronted quite a few people, and I believe they've now caught him and relocated, mm-hmm. relocated him somewhere deeper into the into the reserve. Are they protected animals? Those those snakes? No, they're not. They're not protected at all. I'm so scared of snakes. For me, if I see a snake, a good snake for me is a dead snake. But you learn, you you learn to that they they've also got a role to play. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got it. They keep the rodent population down, and they've all got their place. And Absolutely. so you learn to appreciate them a bit more, and realize we've actually cut a trail where he's been living for many years, um, and we're infringing there. So we you, we tend to try relocate them, and when they become a, a, a problem. We, we go past yeah. this old building on one of our trails, and they call it Snake Hut, Mamba, Black Mamba mm-hmm. Hut, because you don't enter there because it seems to be a breeding ground for them. You move pretty quickly when you come past, past huh. some of these. But it's but it's it's you come across them. The other is you you you're looking down for these, and you look up at the trees, and we've got quite a few crowned eagle around this time of the year as well. And absolutely mm-hmm. amazing, you know, the to see the crown eagle sitting on the nest, and you can hear the young ones up there. So it's yeah, we, you really get out, you know. You 
it's so quiet. I enjoy it. I and my wife, not too happy. I cycle probably 90% on my own because I just love listening to nature. I'll stop and take some photos, stop at a waterfall, see what's going on, yeah. look at the wildlife. Maybe I'm just getting old. I'm not sure. But you start appreciating slowing down a bit more and admiring everything, listening to the sound. A few years ago, I would have ridden through there with my iPod on with music blaring, doing intervals, and everyone must get out of <laughs> my way. Now I'm like, maybe it's aging, I'm not sure. But No, I don't think I don't think I would call it aging. It's, it's maybe, you know, I, I don't know what to say, but this, this, is, this is kind of a, you know, something that I notice as well, that sometimes you're you're cycling and you're so much in the zone that you're passing through the beautiful scenery and you, and you never know about it. You never notice because you know, you're just kind of heads down and you're looking at your power meter or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then every now and then you go, you know, with your, with your buddy, which maybe is not as fit as you or, or whatever. And you're just cycling kind of leisurely yeah. and you look around, you kind of raise your head, you look around, it's like, Oh, this thing was here all the time, but I never actually appreciated, you know, and like you said, and you stop and you kind of look at it and, and, yeah. and you know, and especially in the area like your, like yourself, yeah. that's, that must be just amazing. You're probably spending more time taking photos than cycling. Yeah, we have, we, we're actually quite, quite lucky. Yeah. We, they've developed, I'm sure you're aware of the Cape Epic, which is probably the hardest mountain bike race in the world at the moment. It's, it's like the Tour de France of mountain biking, but that's down in the western Cape, Cape Epic. Cape Epic, yeah. It's a seven-day race. You get all the top marathon cross-country riders in the world. So team event, two-man team. You get all the international riders, but it's incredibly expensive to, as a South African, to enter. It's really started getting marketed for 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 the overseas market. You know, um, but in this province, we have a number of multi-day stage races, at least three days. And we have one called Sarni to See, which starts on the, on, at the Drakensberg Mountains. We call it um, it's a mountain range. And you finish three days later, about 300-odd kilometers on the beach at Scottborough on the south coast. And what they do is each night you load from day one you load your your stuff in a box. They transport it to the overnight, and when you get there, there's two man tents. It's a two man event. Your food, your catering, showers, everything is sorted, bike wash, and so they move your stuff forward till you finish the race. And you get to some some of the views. I mean, you drop into some of these valleys, really desolate places, and they actually put up this big sign that just say, wow. And when you say, wow, <laughs> you, you just look and it's absolutely amazing when the mist is clearing and the valleys are opening below you and it's 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 unbelievable. The, it was quite a funny event on the one race. We were coming down and the race leaders, the professional guys, they were hitting it up front on day two down through this valley. And the organizers had this, I don't know what they made it out of. It was a a replica or a dummy rhinoceros and it looked uh -huh. so real and they put they put this thing dead center in the track <laughs> just to to tease the guys it actually caused such a problem because everyone stopped dead in the track no one would proceed they thought there was a rhinoceros 
but but it's an it was pure realistic event. We have you cross rivers and dams, and they have this floating bridges. So they build them on wooden pallets, and they join all these wooden pallets together. All these um, floating looks like pallets, but they're made out of sponge, and they put cloth across the top, and you ride across these, and they shape them in a bit of a snake across, because if you if it you got to ride at a reasonable speed or start sinking. So, and you, and they normally do that part that can be cold up there and it can get to two, three degrees. They don't want to fall in, but quite a few people do. So we have these amazing events. And three days later, you finish at the, on the, on the beach itself. And then you basically tradition, you strip down just into your shorts and into the sea, you have a bit of a swim in the Indian Ocean and cool off three days later. And so we have a number, oh, a number of those. So we have one that starts at the top of the mountain, the Bergen Bush. The Berg is an Afrikaans name, Bach, for a mountain. So they call it Berg, Bergen, Bergen Bush. And it starts on the Lesotho border up on the escarpment, right on, on top of the mountain range, and then, you, and then they've got the single track dropping off. It's absolute heaven to ride down there. You get to the bottom, you almost want to go back up again just to do it again. Uh, <laughs> and they stage a sort of 100 kilometers a day average uh, stages. And, yeah, some That's a lot. Like 100 kilometers on the mountain bike, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. We find... Mountain bike, depending on the terrain, in terms of distance, covered about two to one. So we find 100 kilometers on a mountain bike is sort of equivalent to doing 160 to 180 on a road bike on a fair. Exactly. So we call it bump time in the saddle. How much bump time are you going to put to cover the same distance? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And when we were were talking before, you also uh, kind of – uh, told me that the the mountain biking scene in 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 South Africa is quite big. That there's almost a race like every weekend. There's yeah. some place to to ride. And Twelve months of the year. Mm. So we, we have, so you don't really have a down season. It's like all the time. So it can race all the year. Yeah, we have a. It's a down season right now. So the last event in this province was on the in in the, in this in KwaZulu. I'm in the province of KwaZulu Natal. Um, and the last race we had was on the 2nd of December and the sort of season for us closes off then sort of so, and then by end of January the races will be on, be on again so it starts quite early and summer here is our rainy season so we have pretty much quite a few muddy races which we don't enjoy we're not used to the, we're not used to the rain uh, I've been quite a lot when I, I come across to Ireland. The first time I came there, uh, it's raining, I'll ride tomorrow. Next day, it's raining, I'll ride tomorrow. Oh, uh, you, would be, you would be like out oh, two days now, in embrace, the year. Embrace <laughs> the rain and, I, and I learned to ride in the rain so a lot. And I absolutely loved riding down past what's at Ballyvaughan, Kinvara, this Dunvana out that way to the cliffs of Mower and that way. And I, I put in hundreds of kilometers a day when I'm there. I absolutely love riding there. And then it's taught me to ride in the rain, yeah. So ride a lot here and the roads are empty. So Africans think it's 
it's really bad and they all sulk when it rains. We're not used to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and when you when you're cycling and then like when you have these muddy races, obviously you you need to change the tires and so on. So so you probably have like a set of set of tires for mud and set of tires that you're using. Yeah, in normal yeah. Conditions. You, you got to look at that. You look at your tire pressures. Run a lot. You got to run your tire pressures a lot lower. And and I think the big thing with you can't you cannot ride mountain biking in this country with really without riding tubeless. So we ride tubeless. We always run in tubeless. The first thing you do when you get your bike is you turn it into tubeless, irrespective of what quality it is, because the thorns and the thorns we have in the bush, um, rocks and the type of terrain, you yeah. need tubeless. And otherwise, you're going to spend all day changing, fixing punches. So you yeah, change your yeah. tire because you have yeah. the sealant that is that is in the, in the tire. You have this sealant, and then when you when you get it torn, getting into the uh, tire when it's removed, the sealant will will seal the yeah the puncture the hole. Yeah. Is that how it if works? We puncture. We don't. We won't even remove the thorn. You'll just break it off and leave it in because it, oh, okay. it actually acts as a plug. Because otherwise, we've now got to ream it a bit and put a bit of a plug in, and then. We bomb it with a, okay. a sort of small shot of air that we keep. We call it bombing. Yeah. I don't know what they would call it in the rest of the world. It caused a scene when I was traveling once. They said, what have you got now? I've just got a few bombs. Uh, it was a bit risky at the airport. I just said, no, there were CO2 canisters <laughs> for cycling. Because <laughs> we just, in cycling terms, we call them bombs. I've only got two bombs in my bag. So. But, yeah, so we also... <laughs> We can, if we punch and you see it's not sealing, we basically have our, our we call them um, the plugs and the bombs ready, and then we will, it will take you all of five seconds, push a plug, pull it out, hit it with a bomb, you know, pushes the sealant to that, and off you go again. You don't really stop unless it's really a sidewalk cut or. So we change our, yeah, we change yeah. our tires, and sometimes the races get so muddy, you got to find a river and jump in the river with your bike, dunk your bike, get all the mud off it because it weighs another ton with all the mud and, mm. and off you go again, yes. carry a bit of chain lube with you to re-lube your chain every so often because of the mud. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and listen, you you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the recording that you're you're going early so you try to avoid the heat and, and so on. But obviously the temperatures are quite high. Yeah. Uh, so what what strategies you're you're using to to keep that or or is it any special strategies that you're using to 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 stay hydrated and and kind of uh, you know deal with the temperatures and the sun while you're outside? Yeah, a lot of you use a lot of uh, sunblock sun cream. You know, you got to use quite a half factor cream, but depends on the what time of day and and the, and the, the heat you're experiencing. But you've got to you got to you got to just keep drinking. You know, it depends. I will take two sort of 750 more bottles with me. Um, and you try at least one bottle an hour minimum. So you've got to get to a water point or somewhere, a garage or, or a shop and top up if you can. Mm -hmm. So we carry, we, I like carrying these um, half five zero tablets, I think you call them. We get half hours, mm -hmm. very popular as well. Yeah, so we keep a tablet or two in our back pocket, and you just pop it into your bottle, put more water, and off you go again. 
Uh, okay, you, so you, you, really you, you, you need to you need to kind of top up your water while you're out riding. Yeah, it depends on your. Yeah, for me personally, I mean, I don't, I don't drink a lot. I think I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a camel or, but I tend to. I don't <laughs> drink as much. I always carry and then end up topping up for for others. With my son running a cycling, <laughs> a cycling studio, what we try to do every Saturday morning, he arranges group rides with the club. And so he, we depends who's there. We'll split the group into an A and B category. Then I generally, maybe I'm a lot more patient. I'll take out the B category riders and, and help them and stop and show them when the one gets a puncher, we do a bit of a lesson. So they all learn beginners. We go okay. to switchbacks and we teach them how to ride switchbacks, how to ride rocks, routes, because it's a you, you know you've got to get used to how to drop off and you know off canvas switchbacks, uphill, downhills, and can be quite intimidating. You got a bit of a cliff on the other side of it, and you got to make it around, slide in your wheel, and so we do a lot of that and carry a bit more extra water. But a lot now, I don't enjoy it, but a lot of the Riders to combat dehydration, they have the I think they call it a camelback. So oh yeah, I know, I know. So it's, it's it's like a backpack with a with the built-in bladder that that you can they can drink yeah, while you're yeah. riding without. But it's yeah, I think it's when you race a lot and you 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 just don't want that around you. So we find a lot with our races as well. We have a lot of water points, even on mountain bike races. Depending on the heat, they'll have water points where you can. Top your bottles, get a banana or a, a potato. It depends on the distance and the, the type of mm-hmm. race it is. So they try to stagger them sort of every 20 kilometers in a race, 20, 30. Degrees. Okay. So if you're running out, you stop. If you're not, you just head on past. You don't. You don't. And the professionals, they generally have a sort of unwritten rule. <clears throat> if they're all struggling with water, they would all stop at the same time. And no one will attack oh, okay. at that point. You know, it's like your feed zone in the road race. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but okay. In, and I, I suppose it has to happen, you know, because the because the conditions are like this. This is like a something, and you need to develop this sort of a rule, right? Yeah, yeah. it's serious stuff. If you get dehydrated, you're done. When when you get to the age category riders, where I am, you you watch your opposition, and you see him going for water. That's when you attack. <laughs> yeah, that's where where the you know no more Mister Nice guys. Happens, and I think the older we get, the more the more competitive we get, or we think we get. We don't get any faster, although mm-hmm. we think we do. But we we do well. I mean, I'm I'm 57. In fact, yesterday I turned 57. So um, getting, okay, getting on it, happy but, birthday. But I can still. I can still get up there and compete in the top 30 to 50 in a group of a thousand. So Great. it depends on, on you learn the shorter races don't suit me, but maybe I've got a diesel engine. I call myself one guy. Yeah. I get up into my, get the, get the engine going and I can go for hours on end. Whereas the shorter races, I don't, we don't have these engines like these youngsters, the heart and lungs. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's very competitive, and all our races, they have all the different age categories from we'll go to a typical race, maybe there'll be a 10-kilometer race, but there'll be age categories. If you're under a certain age, you can only do up to a 10-kilometer. 
junior riders up to or under 16s up to 20 kilometers or 40 and then open we have to ride in the series a six at least a 65k mountain bike event which sometimes two two and a half thousand meters of climbing can be extremely tough very technical a lot of yeah. forests and so I was going to ask you know you have like a very very you obviously have a varied level of uh, of uh, difficulty of those tracks but it seems like they're they're mostly very technical yeah what what the organizers do they have when you get to some of the real technical stuff where it's really they mark them quite well we have a lot of route markers and they they if you get a an arrow or an exclamation mark one exclamation mark there's something you need to be aware of could be rocks could be something where you got two, and then you'll get where you got three, there's something serious ahead of you. Okay. And generally they call it a bull run or chicken run. So uh-huh. when you're racing, you're going to go for the bull run because you want to, that's the shortest route. The chicken run is a bit of a penalty. It will be easier, but you'll have a bit of a mm. short extra distance. Yeah. But sometimes you've got to yeah. be awake because if the race is going on and someone goes down in front of you, you can actually – get to the front by running the chicken run to get around where there's a crash on the rocks or where big drops. Yeah. And some of it can ruin. So it's like a strategic decision that you that you need to make, you know, whether whether you take a risk and you go through the bull run or whether you, you kind of like, oh, I'm going to take an easier route because like, because I presume if you're, for example, ahead and you know that you build advantage, you, you probably, that might be a good time to go to the chicken run as well because you're not going to be risking going yeah. to something more difficult and potentially crash, yeah. and you can use that. As long as there's, no, as long as there's none of your mates around, you know, peer pressure. Ah, yes. <laughs> you'll be caught yeah, forever yeah. if your mate takes a bull run and you take the chicken run. You're not going to hear the end of it. You'll, you'll be buying beers for okay. the rest of the afternoon to keep them quiet. <laughs> <laughs> got it got it got it so there's a there's a strategic decision but it also goes at the price like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned sean that that your son is also also in into 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 mountain yes. bike cycling so are you are you got him uh into that or did he kind of develop yeah, interest in, in quite, in quite an interesting story my son although i've cycled um i think as long as I can remember, I've been riding my bike, whether it was my sister's bike, putting hosepipe in the tires. My dad used to get angry with us because the hosepipe got shorter and shorter as we needed more because we didn't have tubes to put in the tires. So mm-hmm. we used to make our own inners, and the, this black hosepipe got shorter and shorter every week. So I've been riding forever. But when my son came along, he, he, he ended up into motocross and was actually one of the top top motocross riders right through from a junior age racing national circuit some of the local grand prix and then he had a he had an injury shoulder injury and part while he was recovering um friends of his invited him to go riding and then they trained quite a bit to recover and then he did a a provincial championships and he came second and no one even heard of him so Uh He switched from from there on to actually race, and now he, that's his career. He's got a train performance training studio. He trains. He's sort of moving from from mountain bike, marathon, and cross countries to riding more than enduro event, which has really taken off. Coming from motocross, he likes all the jumps and all the 
yeah, yeah. stuff and he's a natural fit for it and he enjoys it more and he's not having to chase intervals and numbers all the time. It's more about skill. Then, oh, then, yes. Yeah. Yes, so that suits him better. Yeah, yeah. No, he's loving. He's actually coming out to Ireland on the twenty second for his first visit ever. He's on. He's okay. To to visit my his sister and and niece niece and nephews for the Christmas period, and so he's going to experience the cold weather of Galway over over this period. <laughs> he doesn't know what's coming. But. That's the <laughs> Yeah, rain and wind and all that. It's actually not that cold, but uh, right now, but it's it's like rain and wind. That's for that's for sure. That's very interesting, Sean, because you know usually, uh, as far as I know, the career goes all the way around. It's like a mountain bike riders as they get older, they cannot compete at the level as they used to. They move into the motocross yeah. or or motorbikes. In in the case of your son, it's just, just exactly the opposite. He figured like he has a like a talent for 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 mountain biking. Yeah, so it's sort of it undiscovered matter. talent that that came about late through an injury. And I mean, we were having a chat just a few days ago. I said to him, "Let's go buy another bike." He said, "No, no, no. Let's buy another mountain bike." I was a bit surprised. I thought he might be tempted to go do a bit of motocross or off-road enduro riding. Mm-hmm. So he said, no, "Let's go buy. We can buy another bike rather." And I think I've got a few too many. One we never know when is enough. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, you know, you obviously heard that that the, enough is you know n plus one, where n is the number that you have right now, right? Yeah, so I even I even have a have a bark hanging in the in the rafters in the outbuilding in Galway. I got a, <laughs> I bought to I think it was adverts. I learned very quickly where to go look for a bargain, and I bought a <laughs> a Cervelo S one. It's got nine speed Tiagra. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the it doesn't even have carbon forks, but I, uh, I train when I come across there. I just ride and ride. I did a tour tour de Baron on it, and I think I was a guest of the Irish uh, paracycling team, um, and oh. they invited me to ride. It was N Post, I think it was their sponsor was also sponsoring the Tour de Baron, and so I was given the Irish kit to ride in, and I got called up on the start line with Sean Kelly on the front row. Oh, lovely. Exciting. And I said to him, I'm going to attack him on the first climb. And he said, are you <laughs> South Africans? You're all mad because he knows us. He knows us well through his career. Anyway, I attacked him on the first climb. I don't think I was racing, but the record books will show I beat him, I think. So. <laughs> Great. He, was, he was more interested in the fans and shaking hands and enjoying the ride but yes I do have a bark across there and I've, I've got a few here as well hanging up my track bark, mm-hmm. couple mountain barks, road bark I've still got my original mountain bark that when mountain barking first started and I think that bark is about 28 years old now I still have it wow. refurbished wow. yeah yeah, yeah, that's a and listen, is the is the fat bikes are getting popular? Do you see many people riding fat bikes? Yeah, fat fat bikes is uh, uh, there's a few guys who ride them around for training. They seem to think it makes them stronger, but we have okay we, because we've got we've really got hundreds of kilometers of beaches, unprotected beaches. And so the fat bikes have become very popular to have and ride from point to point along the beaches. 
Um, and more on the western side of Africa, Namibia, out that way towards the deserts, it's popular. But not as much as uh, it started off big, and I think it's faded a bit. But what's really taking off as well now is they call them the gravel bikes. Um, yeah. It's sort of a hybrid, it's not quite a cyclocross bike, it's not a road bike. And it's becoming very popular because we have vast amount of rural roads, which are gravel roads, untarred. Mm-hmm. So it just mm-hmm. lends itself to get out there on these bikes. I haven't got one myself. I've been tempted, but I'm just not quite sure how it, if it would really replace my mountain bike. I could do the same on my mountain bike. I think that the general, gen, in general, opinion is that the that the like a cross country mountain bike is more versatile yeah. than 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 a gravel bike. Like my friend, like right now, is you know uh, dying almost because he's he's trying to cho- cho- choose and and this is like a that the dilemma that he has like whether to buy a gravel bike and the mountain and or 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 uh, cross country mountain bike. And uh, like in in general, everywhere where you you can go on a uh, gravel bike, you can also go on a mountain yeah. bike. But if, where you can go on a mountain bike, not everywhere you can go on a on a cross count on a on a gravel yeah. bike. Then in the if the if the surface is really kind of uh, suitable or or let's say fast, then probably your gravel bike will be a slightly faster yeah. uh, than the than the mountain bike. And uh, I even saw like a people kind of doing like a like a hybrid kind of thing that they're taking like a mountain bike, yeah. and they're putting like a drop handlebars yeah. on it. And it's like a you know completely like a new animal and yeah, <laughs> doing sure stuff you've like seen that. the Cannondale slate. It's a Cannondale slate. Yeah. Actually, I ride a Cannondale lefty, the top of the range uh, scalpel, and the Cannondale slate has a similar mm-hmm. fork, lefty fork, full suspension top gravel bike. And it's it's quite it's quite mm. unique. But we have, I thought it would be a lot more popular than it has been. It hasn't really taken off. And I think the same reason your your mate is grappling with the idea is because we have some races here. There's one that's just completed now. I'm not sure if everyone's completed it. They call it the manga. M U N G A. If you Google it, the, we call it the manga or the manga. It's probably one of the toughest. Mm-hmm. Races. It's an un, unaided mountain bike off road. You can ride any bike you want as long as you go off road. And it, and it and it and we have a freedom challenge as well, which is about fifteen hundred kilometers. And and basically the race starts when you stop, and it finishes when you finish. And you stay overnight wherever you figure it out. Probably similar to what Thomas is doing. And then the guys ride through the night. And to be honest. No one has even got close on a gravel bike, and I thought that would have been the race to do it on. And, and they're still doing it on sort of mountain bikes, which are adapted slightly for that purpose, but not mm-hmm. not gravel bikes. I haven't seen anyone. And I think there was a, a European guy, I'm not sure if he's French or Italian, just set the new record. I think it was 51 hours he took for this, mm. for the for the manga, yeah, and set a new record. Um, so, And that, I thought it would take off, but it hasn't really taken off. Uh, we have, even in our road races, we have we have a classic here. It's about a 120-kilometer race. 
but they'll have a mountain bike, a road race, but they'll they'll actually you can register in a mountain bike batch and compete with the mountain bikers. So you lock your suspension, wow. pump your tires a bit harder, yeah. or change it to a smoother tire, or put your old worn tires on, and you'll actually start in your own batch on a road race, a closed oh. circuit road race, and you will. You will, yeah, and it's a big thing for the mountain bikers to see how many roadies they can beat by the finish. Ah, yeah, big. you you mentioned you mentioned Thomas. So for for people who are, who are not aware, this is a our you know friend of the podcast. He was already on the podcast as well, Thomas yeah. McIntyre, who is at the moment he's cycling unsupported uh, from from uh, really down the length of Africa, from from Egypt down to. South Africa to your place, so I think you guys, you guys are gonna meet, or at least you're yeah, planning he's, to. He's, to meet, he's uh, going uh, down to Cape Town, which is from where I'm. It's about 1,500 kilometers. Um, he's really going to the to the bottom end of Africa. The real bottom end yeah. is is Cape Town. So hoping we're gonna see if we can plan to try get down there, but it's unpredictable when you'll eventually arrive. I think today I've seen. He went off the grid for a while, and he said he's going to be off again. He's up. He's going hiking in some mountains in Ethiopia. He's enjoying himself. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. Who knows when he'll eventually, eventually get you. I've never met him. Um, we've just spoken, and through we have a, a local forum here. We call it the Hub SA, where it's all like-minded mountain bikers, cyclists, discuss topics, trade, sales, bears, yeah. bikes. And Thomas posted on there initially to say he's from Galway, he's doing this, any advice. And that's where I started talking to him from. And it turned it's quite strange because he's from quite close to where my daughter is uh, across in, in Ireland as well. So hopefully, maybe one day we'll. It's not. It's not exactly. It's not exactly that close. But I suppose by your standards, you know, any 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 two points in Ireland are close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go you go from Dublin to Galway. I think by bus is three hours by coach. And yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I think we exactly. could cycle. Like I, I was saying to my wife, I would love to. I think one of my bucket lists. I'm going to come and do this. What do they call it? The ride around Ireland. There's a race. Yeah. So I yeah. think my retirement present when I turn 60, I'm coming to Ireland to do that. Oh, going awesome. To, going to take that on as a challenge. Set myself that one. Something different. I find I find riding yes. in Ireland, especially, I don't know, I haven't ridden that much around some of the others, but down in, in the Galway area, County Clare and, and out that way to the uh, the Burren. And the Burren is the most amazing place. It's just like nothing. It's barren and nothing, but it's just so stunning to ride there. But, mm -hmm. yeah, you you know, like you say, you when you look at animals, I get excited when I see the sheep. My, my grandchildren call them Sean the sheep after me. But... <laughs> but uh, I like seeing the castles and I'm trying to do some training and get serious and I'm stopping and taking photos of old towers and castles and abbeys and <laughs> Uh, very good that's that's all that's all good that's all good uh listen uh sean before before i let you go i just i just want to um uh, ask your your uh, two more questions so you've you've think like a uh, gravel bikes were really is is kind of like a moment and they're not gonna stick and what about uh those plus bikes right which which meant to be 
like a like a really bridge between the fat bikes and the like a regular bikes and and is that something that you think is good and 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 getting more popular or is it like again like one of these things that come and go to to be honest i haven't even heard of it yet so oh okay is it like a like a like a wider tires they can so you have like a you know 27 and a half or whatever uh 29 uh, tires but they're kind of like a wider so they're not really fat bike wide but they're significantly wider than the, than yeah. the regular but i suppose since you haven't even heard about them then then that yeah. answers I my think, question i think because <laughs> the 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 mountain biking is so competitive the i know mm. i was one of the first to get a 29 inch and everyone thought i was crazy and now mm. if you got a 26 inch they'll ask you what's wrong are you really struggling at home um, you can't afford it. <laughs> you can't afford it, or someone just giving you one. And then twenty-seven and a half yeah. has got its place. I mean, my my stepdaughter is very small. My my, my mm-hmm. daughter-in-law, not stepdaughter. My daughter-in-law is very small, and so for her height and the extra small frame, the twenty-seven point five is absolutely ideal. It gives you fair acceleration if you haven't got that strength coming on climbs. You're able to turn that wheel a bit quicker as a smaller person, but generally, I would say 99.9% of the people in this country racing are all on 29 inch, and sort of standard size 2.2, 2.25 tires, tubeless. So, fat bikes and in betweens, not really. They're racing the same sort of stuff that Nino Shooter and, and the World Circuit guys are, are riding. Um, guys are spending huge amounts of money you know, on these bikes. They're, I think the market's probably the biggest, yeah. one of the biggest aftermarket for spares in the world is South Africa in terms of from mountain bikes. Wow. Wow. That's, that's great. Listen, Sean, so if, if any one of our listeners, you know, listening to that podcast and he says or she says, like, well, I would really love to go down to South Africa and, and, and ride a mountain bike and see these beautiful, you know, scenery and animals and all that. What would be your advice? What's the best way to start and how to go about it? Yeah, I, I think book your ticket. Book your ticket. The what you what you'll be in Durban itself, where I'm from on the on the East Coast, we have we have there's now a direct flight from, from London. British Airways got a direct flight into Durban. I think it's three times a week. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, when I travel oh. between Ireland and South Africa, I use uh, Emirates through du- Dublin, Dubai, and Dubai, Durban, direct flights. Um, I think you just have to do a bit of research. What is it you really want to do? Durban has got the coast. It's got the mountains. It seems to have the game reserve. It's got a bit of everything. I've also, I didn't mention to you, I've also got a, a website. Part of my future plans for retirement, we're starting off mountain bike tours as well. So, wow. so if you go, my contact details will be there. Anyone interested, really, you're welcome to email me, contact me. Mm-hmm. Um, don't find my daughter's number. She's in Ireland, but you can chat to her as well. She's a contact there. It's, mm-hmm. um, you can go to it's African MTB Tours, africanmtbtours.ca. Okay, African M- Okay, African MTB Tours. Co. Is it? And I put a few links to some of our races, 
the Giba Gorge I mentioned where I got confronted with the black mamba snake. Giba Gorge is there. <laughs> Some of our events, Sani, to see links to those with photos and galleries. There's a photo of Sani Pass, which is a 22-kilometer dirt road climb up to Lesotho, 22 kilometers, huge amount of climbing into the mountains. I think it's the highest at the top of that when you go through the the border gate into Lesotho, they say it's the highest pub in Africa if you want to have a beer at the top. <laughs> and you can cycle up there. Some absolutely amazing places. But anyone wanting to come out, it's really it's absolutely beautiful. It's winter months, maybe it's a bit will be a bit easier on the coming from Ireland. It'll be a bit cooler. Depends if you mm-hmm. when I say cool, you still uh, average cool day twenty degrees, twenty one degrees is a cool day for us. Um, mm-hmm. so, and we have races all year you know you're if you're interested in the outdoors you, I know you also like your fishing we have in KZN we call it the sardine the annual sardine run I don't know if you've ever heard of that there's absolutely no, it's a strange phenomenon if you, if you just look at sardine run Pozzuola Natal if you google that there's a mm-hmm. It's um, it, they say it's absolutely millions and millions of sardines that spawn on the down on the near the Cape in the Gullis area, and they migrate up our coast, mm-hmm. and it's like this massive. It looks like a black oil slick in the sea moving up the coast, and they have to remove all the shark wow. nets and all the protective measures on the beaches as they move through because they then the different size fish followed by the great white and all the other sharks behind them and all the other fishes. It's, mm-hmm. It becomes an absolute frenzy. And it's sometimes they beach and you'll have thousands of people just running into the water, scooping it up with their skirts, their hats or shirts, whatever they can. Just millions of sardines. Mm-hmm. And then they migrate up the wow. coast and disappear. So there's so much there. And that's normally a sort of July event around there and lots of mountain biking events. Um, but yeah, in that time of the year, it's probably a bit warmer in Ireland. So if you want to escape, escape the mm-hmm. the cold weather, you come this time of the year, sort of November, December, January, February is our real hot months. If you want to get out yeah, there, but yeah. well, that's that's a, that's a, that's a good, that's a great advice, and and you know, uh, I'm gonna obviously put the put the website uh, in the show notes so so people can. Um, can see it and uh, listen, Sean. Any any closing thoughts uh, that that you you know something maybe that we haven't spoke about and you would like to draw attention or listeners to or, or anything that you want to say to just summarize? No, this, I think, this awesome I think I've podcast. got a, I've got something on on my website uh, written across the. I know they call American Dream. I say come ride the African Dream. You know, come ride Africa. There's mm. no reason why not to. I see in chatting to lots of um, people across in the, a lot of the Irish paracyclists that have become friends with it. The, everyone seems to go to Spain, mm-hmm. Spain, Spain, Spain. I mean, Spain's got sun, but I, I think we've got more sun and we've got the big five, we've got mountains, yeah. we've got the oceans, you can swim all year, safe area. We've just got kilometers and hundreds of kilometers of cycling. We've got mountain bike parks, I would say, within short space, 30 kilometers, 40 kilometer radius. I've probably got about 10 mountain bike parks. And some of them, they've got these 60, yeah. 80 kilometers of trails, 100 kilometers of trails. 
It's just a beautiful part of the world. Yeah. You just make a booking and absolutely and and you and you know and you're not and you're not gonna meet rhinoceros or hippo in spain that's yeah, for sure yeah so you you can you can combine come in and do mountain biking and then arrange to go do a safari within two hours from me we've got probably one of the biggest game reserves Sislui, and world renowned it's a world heritage site lake saint lucia um, oh. where you can actually get in a boat and go up the river next to the – we didn't mention crocodiles, but quite a few crocodiles up there, crocodiles, hippos, and the <laughs> like, and see the big farm. I said uh, big six. We've also got the awesome. great white. You can go shop. <laughs> right. Shop. I like that. I like yeah. that. Great six is a great white as well. That's a good It's one. really – we've got unbelievable fishing, fish coast, yeah, the surf fishing – they got the trout fishing inland and fly fishing and but but the fishing on the coast and going deep sea fishing and, and enjoying that is very popular. Cage diving with the sharks, diving on the different shoals offshore. There's just there's so much to do. You gotta yeah. say, Well, what do you really wanna do? Plan plan your holiday. What makes it great is the rate of exchange at fifteen to one. Sixteen to one I think it is at the moment. Uh, if oh. you're gonna pay, okay. you're gonna pay fifteen rand for a pint. It's gonna and it's gonna cost you a euro. You can buy a Guinness for a euro. It's uh, good. It's good. Yeah, to know. so it's very, very good, um, very good value. The only downside is that it costs you a bit more to fly. Yeah, the equivalent. I think we pay. Mm-hmm. About fifteen thousand rand for a flight, so you probably pay eight hundred to thousand euro for a return ticket. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's a, like a you know, it's a it's a big trip, and you're probably not, uh, you know, not not gonna be trying to save on the on the on the flights when you when you you know really yeah. a, a kind of uh, coming from the opposite end of the world, you know, almost yeah. right. Um, so that's 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 great, Sean. Listen, that was that was uh, really great talking to you. I I appreciate uh, you reaching out to me and uh, and and arranging that and taking your time um, today for for this chat. Uh, I think uh, you passed uh, a lot of uh, very very important and very interesting information to our listeners, and you know, hopefully. Uh, a few folks will will just get get down to the to South Africa and 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 ride those 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 yeah. beautiful uh, trails oh. and and when you whenever you're gonna be in in Ireland you know give a shout and maybe we're gonna do that podcast you know live I mean like not over the internet yeah yeah no, that'd be great I, I, pl- I plan to be there next August 2019 I'm coming across I think my my granddaughter's heading off to secondary school I think you call it. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping to come out and, and normally I come out for three, four weeks, three or four weeks at a time and drink as much Guinness as I can. Um, it's one, it's one, <laughs> Very good. I don't drink no I don't drink I say normal beer, I don't drink much at all, but, but I've always got a Guinness in my fridge. So I think I think you you're also welcome to come across. I think maybe you should do your next yeah. po- podcast from here in one of the game reserves. We'll go for a ride. 
That is that is very good idea, uh, Sean, I, I, and and, and uh, definitely, uh, definitely, I definitely, you know, we'll we'll give you a call if it's anything like that is coming up. Then you know, rest assured, you yeah. know, <laughs> I will, I will, I will give you a shout. Listen, it was great. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, I appreciate Pleasure. your time. Enjoy your evening. You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.